Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. That was the sound of a total greenhorn turkey hunter trying to work the two-faced box call because he just bought a fourth season turkey tag. That's right, people. I'm going turkey hunting. I'm legal to hunt in like, uh, I think about a week. Yeah, I think about a week this a week from today. It will be the fourth and final turkey season, which is like uh, almost a month long here in the great state of Iowa. And that's... Really the main reason I got that season tag, because I need a lot of time to try and make this happen. And I need just the flexibility this time of the year. I whine about how busy it is, but it really is. It really is pretty busy this time of year. Anyways, we're not going to talk turkey as all day, but I do want to use it to transition a little bit to what the main topic is today. In our last episode, which by the way, after listening to that, I feel pretty good about turkey hunting, honestly. You know, uh, Heath did such a nice job in that. I've gotten some great feedback on how helpful that was. Hope it was for you too. But in that episode, at the end, Brandon asked this question about taxidermy with turkeys. And Heath offered up this great suggestion that, you know, a good thing to maybe start dabbling in a little bit of your own taxidermy work is starting out with, if you shoot a turkey, take the turkey fan, try and preserve it yourself and, uh, you know, fix it to like a plaque or something, somehow make it look good. And, uh, he said, that's a great place to start out. So, you know what, if I shoot a, if I shoot a gobbler this year, I may look into doing that myself, trying to preserve that fan, like Heath mentioned, and hopefully, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get to do that. And that's where I'm going to take you with our tip of the day. Now, this is an interview with somebody who is, I mean, I I've seen a lot of taxidermy in my life. This guy has some of the best work out there. So Matt, I know you're probably listening to this. Please don't hate me for trying to offer some level of taxidermy advice that I will openly admit I am highly unqualified for, but I think it can help in a very specific situation. And that is in a situation where you're dealing with something that you want to preserve, but it doesn't have like a ton of value to you. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about like a deadhead or like some nasty old shed you pulled out of like the bottom layer of a CRP field and it's like half green and everything else, right? So you're talking about some stuff that, you know, it's not like your first buck or or even a buck that you shot and and, uh, you know, tagged, it's something you found. Okay. And let's say you just want to kind of like get it cleaned up well enough to put up in your garage or your man cave or something and not in your living room. I have a little tip that I think could help you. So your tip of the day is for a little bit of light DIY taxidermy work. Let's say you find a deadhead. It's got kind of a yellowish color to the head or something like that, you know, from sitting out in the mud and the rain and stuff like that, or, or, uh, you know, for whatever reason, 
or maybe like I said, a green old shed or something. One thing you can do to try and whiten that thing up a little bit is to get a common product that uh, was used to bleach people's hair. Now, I've never had my hair bleached. No, I was not one of those really cool kids that you went to school with back in the 90s who like buzzed most of their head short, but left their bangs and then bleached them, you know, like really light blonde or something. Man, were we cool back in the 90s. <laughs> but you use that hair bleach and get like 40 volume or 50 volume uh, hydrogen peroxide hair bleach cream. It's a cream, not like the stuff you put on your cut when you skin your knee when you're a little kid. We're talking uh, the hair product here. Get some like chemical gloves, put some goggles on because you don't want that stuff on your skin or in your eyes, and then just smear it over that green antler or put it on that, uh, you know, that old dead head that's looking kind of nasty and let it sit for like a day Then wipe it off, see what progress you made, you know, scrub it a little bit and then reapply. And you do that a few times and you probably won't get it perfect, but you'll definitely get it looking better. So that's just a little DIY tip I have for you. I've used it a few times and it's, it's worked pretty well. I've been satisfied with it. You know, I used it, used it on, um, an antler here just recently that I found that was like really green. And, uh, I would say it made it probably, I don't know, 75% better. So, you know, I'd say that's pretty good. It was a really old antler. And, uh, you know, it's a good thing to maybe practice on. It just gives you one more thing to do that has to do with the outdoors a little bit. So you can uh, you can give that little tip a try. Now, Matt, you might be listening to this shaking your head. I don't blame you. I'm not qualified to talk about it, like I said. But, uh, hey, it's a low-risk project, right? A deadhead. Make sure you get the salvage tag, too. You know, a lot of states require you to have a salvage tag for deadheads. So make sure you're not... Uh, doing anything wrong there. But uh, that's my little tip of the day for you. And then uh, going along with that, you can head over to the First Gen Hunter website, which is firstgenhunter.com. And you can find an article I wrote last spring about finding a busted up old shed. So, you know, we're here at the end of the shed season. Maybe you got a shed or two that you found up that's uh, that you found that is pretty beat up and you want to fix it up a little bit. Well, I wrote this article and told about this shed that I found that was super old, got hit by a bush hog mo that a tractor was dragging and uh, really chopped this thing up. My wife looked at me like I was crazy, but I took that shed home anyways, fixed it up and made it a lot better and using pretty much just stuff that I found around the house. So I would suggest taking a look at that. And then while you're there, go to the link up in the, the banner area of my website, go to my Instagram page, go to my bio and you will find uh, my my link tree there. And on that link tree, you'll find the links to the podcast. You'll find the links to the website. You'll find the links to uh, the YouTube channel. But you'll also notice there's a new link for a new partnership that I'm doing here with one of my favorite hunting companies. And that would be Camo Fire. Yes, that is all one word it is like the best place to get discounted hunting gear. I've gotten, I would say a solid 35 to 40% of my hunting gear from there. In fact, uh, speaking of turkeys, last turkey season, I bought this awesome turkey chair, kind of like what Heath was talking about in the last episode that my buddy, Alex Earhart from episode 32 is a huge turkey guy who's had major back problems from turkey hunting. He told me about this chair I sat in it, tried it out. It was fantastic. So I was, you know, really wanting one myself. I think he paid 65 bucks for his. I found the exact same chair on Camo Fire 
paid, I think it was 35, maybe even 30, all the way down to $30 for this thing. And uh, just love this chair, super comfortable. But the idea here is I got it from Camo Fire. So make sure you go to that link through my Instagram bio. That helps me out. And uh, hopefully uh, it'll help you out getting that gear, especially if you're a new hunter wanting to get geared up for a new species you want to chase after. Uh, make sure you head over there to Camifier to get that done. Now, let's go ahead and transition into this conversation here with Mr. Matt Welsh, who is just a fantastic taxidermist. He, we were able to ask Matt so many questions about taxidermy, really get into the life of a taxidermist here and see what all goes on for them. It's just a tremendous episode, answered a lot of questions that I've had for a long time on taxidermy, and honestly... I think I say it in this episode, I probably could have asked another hour, two hours worth of questions from Matt on taxidermy work. It's just fascinating to me just to see what these guys are able to do. And uh, we were really honored to have him on here. So actually, we're probably going to try and get him back on in the future just to finish asking the rest of my questions. Um, I hope I'm, I shoot a buck that's worthy of taking to Matt someday. You know, he, as he's going to say in here, he's moving to, he's moving to Kansas, moving out of the great state of Iowa, uh, but he wasn't all that close anyways. He was probably still going to be like a three, three and a half hour drive for me. So, well, it's just a few more hours, you know, if I shoot a buck that is, 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 uh, you know, just a outstanding caliber buck, I'll probably be looking mad up and heading his way anyway. So let's, let's get on here to episode number 51 of the first gen hunter podcast. Thanks for tuning in everyone. Social media is an interesting place to say the least. And a lot of my social media time here as of late is spent doing stuff for First Gen Hunter. In fact, uh, right before uh, we started recording this one, I had to uh, make a quick little post. Um, and it's actually a good news post, Alex. I'm, I'm uh, as of today, officially on Stitcher for this podcast. So uh, wow. there's been some uh, Android listeners who had to pick up another podcast app just to listen to first gen hunter and i am eternally grateful for them being willing to do that uh but you know you got to meet people where they are right it's like uh it's, it's like being a highly effective person <laughs> but uh but uh, you got to meet people where they are so i i went the went through the steps today to get everything updated to get on to onto a stitcher and then i made a social media post about it and you know that's that's what a lot of my social media activity is but i do always take some time every day to follow those those people that are you know close to me and and people i enjoy seeing their stuff and one of those people i mean really count yourself privileged here alex is the <laughs> one and only alex Gruen of East to West Hunts, who is co-hosting tonight for Brandon, who uh, is tied up with some Easter plans right now. But uh, um, Alex always has something cool on his stories on Instagram. And uh, last night I was, you know, sitting there kind of innocently, you know, just cruising through people's stories. And then all of a sudden, well, bam, here is this giant furry muskox staring through my soul. <laughs> and I'm like, holy smokes, there's <laughs> there is the behemoth from uh the northern edge of the planet that Alex killed. What was that in the 2019 hunting season? 
No, it's 20. You know, they're all running together, but no, 2020 technically. Cause I got oh, back really? uh, right, right before I got right before the COVID shutdown. Like <laughs> I think like I, I got timing. back I think, three or four days right before the COVID shutdown. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I, Sorry, man. You got to stay here. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I I, uh, I shot that bull and I I ran over to the airplane as fast as I could. So, <laughs> oh man, <laughs> nothing like me catching the last flight out of nowhere. Good grief! I, I think I did actually. I, it was like the last flight before a storm, and then like everything just it just went downhill from there. So, oh. on the positive though. That's a very good looking bull. I forgot how good looking he was. Yeah, man. Yeah, for sure. And it was very timely because tonight uh, we're talking all things taxidermy here with Mr. Matt Welsh of Raccoon Valley Taxidermy. Matt, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. Have you ever had a muskox come through your shop, Matt? Uh, you know, in the Midwest of the U.S., I don't get a lot of those. No. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, I have not. That's, that's one critter that I have not had the privilege to put my hands on, but sure, that I, would certainly be something. So. <laughs> I'm at, Matt, I'm not, I'm not surprised. It's kind of, kind of funny to that though. I was searching out to see if there was a taxidermist in Michigan that would do it. And I contacted a bunch of people and I never got a response back. So uh, <laughs> yeah, they're going, uh, I ain't touching that. Uh, totally. <laughs> It's hard to find a replacement cape for one of those. <laughs> yeah. 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 I can see that. That's a good point. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Is that like just crazy intimidating when somebody brings in something like that? I mean, I got to imagine, you know, uh, a bison or, uh, man, even like just a big moose or something. Is it, is it when you, when you're yeah. standing there looking at that and you're with your skin and knife in hand, you're just, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The skin and stuff doesn't even, you know, that's almost like you do so much of that. That's not even a concern, but, sure. but yeah, I mean, it, there's so many things with, with that, that, um, you know, from my perspective, somebody brings something to the shop. I have no idea how it was handled before that point, you know? So, so from my perspective, you know, if that thing's been handled and gone through all these different airports and, you know, all of a sudden there's all these questions. Has it been frozen? Was it frozen right away? Did it get flushed and salted right away? You know, what did they do with it after that? And so there, there is the potential for all these things to go wrong before it even shows up in my shop that may not even show up until the tanning process starts. Sure. And then all the hair starts falling out or something. And then, of course, you know, I, I, you know, where does the blame go at that point? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, because it, it's fine. It was, it looks fine when you dropped it off, but. You know, and there's so many factors that can influence that, that, uh, that, that is, you know, obviously some of that stuff, you know, I've done some African game and that kind of stuff. And, and most of those places are, you know, that's their business. So they're good at it. Um, you know, I just had a life-size, um, brown bear from Kodiak Island in Alaska, oh, you man. know, dropped off and, my, and the height is, you know, fleshed and salted, but there's still moisture and it's like. You know, did they just hire some guy for the weekend that said he knew how to do it? Or is this somebody that really knows what they're doing? Yeah. You know, um, so stuff like that is kind of irreplaceable. You know, yeah. obviously a whitetail cape living in Iowa, 
altitude to be Kansas, <laughs> yeah. you can you can replace a whitetail cape. It's not ideal because it's not your deer, but you can still get a deer that looks like a deer, and you get your animals. You know, yep. a muskox, occasionally <laughs> from Sitka Island. That's not something you can call the taxidermist down the road and say, "Hey, do you got a spare?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. So yeah, to answer your question, there is a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, anxiety that comes with projects like that. Oh, I imagine so, man. I can't even if someone drops something off like that. I would I wouldn't even know where to start. I would I would be so thoroughly <laughs> overwhelmed. So I, all all the respect in the world to to you guys who deal with, <laughs> deal with that and something that is so valuable, you know, too to that person right. that. There's a lot of stress right. there for sure. And we're going to dive into that too. But, you know, I, I do want to address the reason why I, I mean, there's, there's so many people I could have, I could have asked to do this podcast. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of taxidermists out there and, and, and to kind of tip my hat, I guess, to the average taxidermist just through, you know, course first gen hunter here haven't been hunting for super long but you know i've been i've been uh looking at taxidermy pretty much all my life you know i always enjoyed going to like bass pro or cabela's you know everyone probably remembers that first magical moment when they were a kid and they walked into a store like that and saw all those critters everywhere and you just stare at them and and uh <clears throat> you know really appreciate the the beauty of nature but i would say that the average taxidermist does a good job you know they you you look at their work and you're like yep that's you know that that looks good that looks like that looks like a a you know probably pretty similar to what he looked like when whoever pulled the trigger yeah. right that's but acceptable yep <laughs> right exactly but every now and then you see something and for me it was through social media uh, a huge uh facebook group out of uh, also out of iowa trophy bucks of iowa uh, they, uh, shared Matt's work, uh, with raccoon Valley taxidermy. I remember yeah, seeing yeah. their post and I, I started following Matt's page. I want to say maybe three, maybe even four years ago it was pretty quick after uh trophy bucks really started coming around. And, um, I was just totally astounded by the work that Matt does. I mean, it's like, you know when somebody's good and then you know when somebody is like really good like there's 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 somebody who's not just technically sound but there's like artistic talent behind what they're doing and uh so i've just always kind of kept that in the back of my mind and um you know i was planning if i ever shot like a real uh a real giant uh, Matt, I was planning to make the, the drive all, you know, all the way over to the middle part of the state and drop it off with you. But looks like I'm going to have to either, uh, make that drive a little bit longer now, or, uh, I'm gonna have to have to talk to you about your shipping <laughs> options. <laughs> well, yeah. And there, there's, yeah, as far as that goes, there's certainly always options, but yeah. And I, you know, I, I still have a lot of family in Iowa and I, you know, so I, once I move, that doesn't mean I'm never going back to Iowa. Sure. I'll be back. I mean, I'm tight with my family as my wife is with hers and, um, you know, so I'm going to be driving back and forth a lot anyway. So I'm, I'm going to continue, um, you know, uh, serving my clients up there that want to continue using me. I'm going to make it work. You know, they've been loyal to me, so I'm going to continue to be loyal to them. So that's great. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's, uh, you know, we can certainly dive into, you know, some of those options, um, whether it's me or anybody. Um, but yeah, there's certainly always options to, 
to use somebody is, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't let um, a lot of land between you and who you want to use hinder uh, you going to them mm, for sure. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> Whether it's me or anybody that, you know, I'm not. Yeah. So, um, yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's a good point. And, and I bring it up because I, I do want, I do want people to, you know, check your stuff out and, uh, you know, we're, we'll, again, we'll get into some of this a little bit later in the conversation, but, and I think Alex would agree with me here, uh, just based on our conversations in the past, uh, when you go through the, the expense, you know, our good buddy, Noel Gandy down in, uh, uh, Southwest Iowa, he, uh, he, has this uh, great statement that, you know, we as hunters like to say all the time that, um, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, putting food on the table for my family and saving us money. Think of how much money we save on not having to buy meat. <laughs> and he's like, brother, it's the most expensive meat on the planet. <laughs> The ammunition. If you just look at a single doe tag purchase, yeah. that's a valid statement. But that's not an honest assessment. <laughs> right, right. It's I mean yeah. the I mean all the hunting equipment, the tags, the 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 fuel, the hotel stays. I mean, we put a lot of a lot of not just time but money into each thing we harvest. And then when you're talking about a service like what Alex offers where he's sending, you know, people, his his clients out to, you know, way across the country to hunt these really specific uh once of a lifetime animals. You know, spending the money and going the extra mile to not just get the, the you know, status quo or the, the you know, run of the mill work done on your animal. You want to, you want to take it the, across the finish line, so to speak, something that you're going to be happy to stare at the rest of your life. You know, even in those days when you can't maybe do either that particular hunt or really much hunting at all, because, you know, you're, you're, you're past that age where that's really, you know, something that you're capable of. You can still enjoy the, uh, quality workmanship, you know, even in, even in those, those points of our lives and, and, uh, you know, what happens to old taxidermy when the uh, owner passes on, uh, who really knows, but I, I'm going to guarantee you that the chances of your kids being willing to hang on to it for a long term, if it looks really cool, those chances go up. So <laughs> that's, sure. that's another, that's another way to look at it too. You know, if it's just something that's yeah. really, really striking to look at, then, then, uh, you know, the, the extra, the extra effort, extra money to get a really quality job done on your taxidermy, I think, uh, is totally justifiable. So, but we're, we'll, sure. we'll get into that a little bit more here too. But, uh, before we do, I do want to just talk about your background, Matt, as, as a, uh, outdoorsman and also, uh, you know, kind of how you ended up getting into taxidermy a little bit. So, uh, wh where did you kind of get your start as a hunter and angler? Yeah, so um, so I grew up in north central Iowa. If you've ever been through that country, um, if you are a corn and soybean farmer or like to raise pigs, like that's a great place to live. <laughs> okay? yep. But if you if if you don't do any of those three things, um, you know I don't know. I, I don't feel like there's much there for you. But. <laughs> Uh, some people would argue that there's pockets. I, I shouldn't say that I, I rip on where I grew up, but 
I grew up there, so I can't. But yeah, right. um, yeah. no, it's it's uh, it's it's flat and it is crop land. Yeah, from fence to fence, and with the exception of along the river, there's not much for timber in the in that part of the state where I grew up. Yep. And uh, but anyway, you know, my dad was a very avid hunter, and he was so we hunted everything with everything. Um, sure. So basically if the season was open, you know, it, well, what's your favorite? Well, if I'm in a duck boat, I would say duck hunting, <laughs> but if I'm sitting in a deer stand, I would probably say deer hunting or, you know, <laughs> yep. so depending on what season's open and what I'm doing, that that's my favorite. And, uh, so anyway, I grew up hunting, fishing, trapping along the Iowa river, uh, North central Iowa. Um, we'd fish smallmouth in the river in the summer and, and hunt in the fall, we'd, you know, we'd hunt ducks and geese and in the fields and in the, in the sloughs and, and deer hunt on our family's property. And my dad was a big traditional guy. We shot traditional archery. We grew up shooting oh, longbows, cool. three curves, and That's awesome. uh, we made our own cedar shaft arrows. And, and nice. I was always so, and my, yeah, and my brother and I, uh, we shared a bedroom growing up and, you know, of course, like brothers do, we always fought and bickered over stuff. And my mom <laughs> finally said, you know what? These two walls, those are mats. Those two walls over there, those are your brothers. You guys can put on there whatever you want, right? And uh, and my brother's a very avid hunter, too, and very successful and, and fisherman and stuff. But, you know, at the time, his, his bedroom decor was more Bo Jackson posters and Joe <laughs> Montana and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I had... I had squirrel skins and stuff oh, on my yeah. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and I did not do it well, I can tell you that. And, and uh, so that was always his gripe. And mom's like, well, that's his wall, sorry. <laughs> and uh, so, so anyway, uh, you know, that, that, that's a funny story now. But, but uh, so it's kind of funny seeing what I do for a living now and then looking back at that and going, man, it's almost like this is, this was God's plan for me, you know? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, but, uh, so anyway, grew up hunting and fishing, trapping and, and, you know, I, we would get home, we'd have to run traps after school, get back after dark, doing it in the dark. And we had these little sheds out back that were nothing. I mean, there was no electricity, no heat in these particular sheds. And, uh, you know, we'd, run a, uh, an extension cord out there and plug in a heat lamp from our, from our chickens. And, uh, we'd be out there until the, until the skinning was done after running traps or like, you know, dad's like, you want to do this? That's great. But every day we're doing this and, hmm. you know, and I'm thinking, why well, you got to explain this to me? This sounds awesome. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, and I loved it. And, uh, but anyway, that, that was kind of, you know, growing up on an acreage there, I always had, um, you know, I just loved anything outside. We grew up with horses, riding horses, hunting, fishing, trapping, you name it. Um, and, you know, and it's not a great part of the state for it. But if you want to do something bad enough, you'll do it. You'll figure it out and you'll make the most of, of the situation for sure. Mm. And um, so anyway, that was kind of what I grew up doing. And taxidermy always intrigued but how do you even know where to start on something like that? So, so anyway, I grew up, graduated high school, you know, I went to college. I've got a wildlife degree. 
Oh, cool. Um, well, it's actually it's actually more of of like a rangeland emphasis, like like native grasses, rangeland management, that sure. kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, with 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 some kind of wildlife mixed in and stuff, but it's a biology degree. Um, you know, I'm like, well, very cool. I went to college because I'm like, well, that's what you do, I guess. You know, with no <laughs> real plan or direction. Um, sure. And uh, so I did. Out of college, I, you know, I've worked for a couple of state wildlife agency, Nebraska Game and Parks, Wyoming Game and Fish Department. And in that, in that line of work, you bounce around and you try it. There aren't very many jobs. And when you do get one, they don't pay well. You got to do all these temp jobs and you move all over when you're right out of college and young. And, you know, and, and I'm like, well, okay. Well, so, so anyway, um, when I was working in Nebraska, my boss, who's, who's still a biologist there to this day, he dabbled in taxidermy. Okay. And, um, so I was just always intrigued anytime I go over to his shop, I'm just like, this is the coolest thing ever. And, uh, so that always stuck in my mind. Um, you know, met a girl, got married. I moved back from Wyoming to, to Kansas at that time because she went to Kansas state university. Sure. She's a wildcat. And, uh, so I just worked some construction, um, there until she graduated. And then we, we, uh, were like, well, we want to be by family. Both it's very important to both of us. And so that's either Southeast Kansas where we're moving in the near future or Iowa where my family is. And, and, uh, the opportunities were, uh, greater in, you know, in and around the Des Moines area. And we ended up landing about a half hour west of Des Moines, Iowa. And, and that's kind of where we've been ever since. Sure. And, uh, you know, I was, I was actually working at a uh, big sporting goods store in West Des Moines. Um, and, uh, then I got on, um, with a young family, you know, retail hours are, are not the best. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, so I started to pursue something else, you know, you got to work a lot of a lot of evenings and weekends and that kind of thing. And, you know, that's not fair to my kids or my wife or, you know, to, to work those kind of crazy hours. Um, right. And then doing taxidermy part-time by this time. But I, so when I was at that retail store, um, I'm like, you know what, we're kind of halfway settled. We got, you know, we bought a house, we got all this stuff. I'm like, all right, I want to, I want to do this. If for nothing else, just for myself, Right. Because I'm starting to rack up enough critters here. This bill is getting pretty big. Maybe I can just save myself some money. Right. <laughs> so that, was my, that was my train of thought. There you that go. was my train of thought. And then, of course, that catches on. And I'm working at this retail store. I'm working on bows and I'm talking to customers. And I mean, next thing you know, it's like, wait a minute. I thought I was doing this to be able to work on my own stuff. And right. it's like, I'm not, I'm not working on anything of mine. And, uh, <laughs> So in the meantime, I had, I had left the retail store. I went to work at Pioneer. I was doing soybean research and, uh, you know, in my, my taxidermy business on the side had grown to the point where, um, you know, it almost sneaks up on you and all of a sudden you sit back one day and you go, How, when, when did this happen? I mean, I was literally, I'd get up in the morning, I would go to work, I'd come home, I'd work in the shop. Then I'd go in, I'd eat supper, I'd go back to the shop to work, I'd go help my wife with the kids, tuck the kids in bed, 
I go back to the shop, go to bed, and start that day over again. And I did that for several years. And, uh, you know, finally, I mean, you could just feel the tension. I mean, it's just, right. it's just stressful. And it's not, you know, like right. I said before, it's not fair to my wife. My wife is working all day. She's a, she's a high school biology teacher. Hey, um, <laughs> that's what I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, you bet. that's what you do. Yeah. Basically I, I a superhero that. is what your wife is. Yeah. Oh yeah. There you go. <laughs> oh my there you God. Go. Absolutely. Yeah. You want to, you want to make a teacher mad. Just, just, uh, just say it loud enough for, for them to hear and just say, ah, they only work nine months a year. Yeah. Just, right. Just watch yeah. the expression on their face just for entertainment. <laughs> yes. I could give um, you that same expression. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. Sure. I know. But no teachers, in my opinion, the, literally the entire future of our nation runs through them. So they do not make enough money, but, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so, so basically, you know, me and her talked and we're, we both agreed that, that the pace in which I was going is not sustainable. Like, we got to make a choice. I mean, I, I right. had a great job, Pioneer, you know, one of the best corporate companies to work for in the world, literally, in my opinion, if you're in the ag industry. Um, hmm. And uh, so we, you know, I'm like, man something's got to give. And I said, well, the logical thing is stick with the safe job that pays good and you know, whatever. And she's like, but you love doing taxidermy. I said, yeah, I do. But, and I still can, you know, but just not the capacity I am. And she's like, I think you need to do taxidermy. I'm like, really? You know, I was not, (laughs) but she's like, I think so. I'm like, all right, well, let's see what happens. So we did all kinds of social media advertising and whatever. I'm like, let's make a big push, see how much I get and go from there see what happens and we did that and i just got bombarded and i'm like hey you know crunch numbers i said i got enough work to have a job for a year right now she's like there's your answer i'm like holy smoke wow i said here we go wow it's awesome and uh yeah so i put in my notice and you know i had already done a mount for my boss's husband at pioneer you know and and they're kind of an outdoors family and she's like good for you that's awesome that's what it's about. So, um, wow. no hard That's feelings really cool. there. Yeah, it was, it was super cool how it all worked out. And, um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, that was about three or four years. I made that jump full time and I have been so busy ever since. I haven't had time to think if it was a good decision or not. <laughs> so I, I guess <laughs> so it's good. So I guess it was. It was a good decision. <laughs> I guess that was a good time. So, oh man, and, that's that's a really cool story. And, and you got yeah. the wife of the year there, huh? She's she's awesome. You know, she really is. And it's uh, you know, talk about ultimate support. You know, because I was just thinking in my head, I'm like, well, what's safe and whatever. And she's like, that'll provide for us. You'll be fine. Well, this mm-hmm. is what you like doing. We'll figure it out. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And it it's been, you know. And it was a pay cut and it still is, but you know, I don't know. We, we live our life a little different than most people. Um, in my opinion, our, our whole view and outlook. Um, I guess we, you know, if you make less money, you're going to spend less. If you make more, you're going to spend more. Uh, sure. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, what do we like doing? We like hunting. We like fishing. No matter how much money we make, we're always going to do that. 
So what's the problem? Yeah. You know? Right. And, uh, so that's kind of how we look at it. And, um, and it's, it's, it's been great. So not to say it's been easy all the time or sometimes we're like, eh, let's, let's wait a month or two on that purchase, you know, and see if we can do it then or, you know, stuff like that. But, but I don't really think that's different than anybody else. So. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, you bring up a good point there and it's going to make me sound like I'm, uh, you know, going against what I just said about 20 minutes ago <laughs> with, uh, uh, you know, hunting bills being pretty expensive and, yeah. and so forth. But, yeah. but once you do have a lot of the gear, yeah, you know, yeah. once you have, you have the foundation set for being able to go hunting yeah. and fishing, yeah. It does. You can do it for pretty cheap, and and it is an advantage yep. for uh, you know, if you're in a point in life where you are in transition, or maybe you're tackling a new a new big thing like uh, Matt and his family were, uh, and, and are now. Uh, that's one thing your family can still do together. Yeah, and you know, you go on a if you go on a big vacation to, you know, a, your typical destination place, you know, like a big resort or whatever. I mean, mm. you got to have a pile of money. But if you go on like a, uh, you know, a national park tour and uh, uh, maybe have a little uh, bring bring along your uh, fishing rods with you. Yep. And, or or whatever you know you can you can have a a uh, very memorable uh, trip filled with fun that, that keeps everybody happy and, and for a pretty cheap price too. So yeah, I agree with what you say there. You, you know, you can, you can live within your means. Yeah. You can spend as much or as little as you want. That's absolutely right. I mean, you can buy a tree stand for 250 bucks or you can wait till those cheap lock-ons go on sale for 40, you know, yep. and you <laughs> yep. can kill deer out of both of them. <laughs> Guaranteed. That's right. That's right. Can't buy skill, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, right. that's something Alex probably has to tell his clients on occasion, right, Alex? Well, that they can't buy skill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you know, it, it's funny you say that because I, I could put a guy in the middle of the best valley possible, but if he's just stepping on every log and twig <laughs> on the planet, he's going to be useless. So, <laughs> that's <laughs> so right. I can't control that's that right. part for him. <laughs> that's right. That's, right. That's right. I, re I remember <laughs> filling out. Or, or looking over the forms or whatever, when it, whenever it was for you. And uh, one of them was be honest with your, your physical abilities and your, it's uh, true. I know, <laughs> I know. True. Guys are like, Oh yeah, I'm going to go by myself. And I'm like, you do realize I'm going to put you like five miles in the back country and you're by yourself, right? Like, are you, <laughs> are you going to be okay or not? You know, <laughs> yep. no, yeah. so, unless you're going to, so, unless like, you're going to call in a helicopter to pick you up. Uh, sometimes you can't buy everything, but, but uh, Matt makes a great point there. You know, if you're, if you're wise with how you do it, put a little planning behind it, do your homework. Uh, you'd be amazed at, at uh, what you can afford and uh, what, what, what you can afford can uh, uh, bring you as far as success in the woods go. So that's a great point. Well, uh, I think let's just kind of dive right into uh, the meat of what this conversation is supposed to be for our, for our listeners, which, you know, first gen hunter podcast, we're hopefully helping out people here who are fairly new to hunting or maybe even totally new. And uh, let's just start with what is, what is the, you know, number one things that you as an experienced taxidermist want your, your, uh, you know, customers to know and where you think that like a first timer 
could uh, gain some really valuable information that would make your job easier and probably make the, the whole situation more likely to be, uh, you know, satisfactory to them. So does, does this sound like a good place to start right here? Shot placement? Is that, is that really critical for somebody who's hoping to get a, a, uh, like full shoulder mount or something like that? Have you ever hunted out west or maybe thought about going on your first western hunt? Either way, you need to complete applications, navigate every state's processes, and actually end up getting a tag to go and complete your hunt. East to West Hunts with Alex Gruen is your one-stop shop to get the information you need to get the tags you desire to hunt the species of your choice where you want to hunt them. Alex scaffolds his services by offering simple deadline reminders and consultations for DIY hunters all the way up to the deeply involved premium plans that complete all applications and hunt plans for you. He will even send you waypoints on where to camp, hunt, and more if you have his hunt planning services. Memberships for the DIY hunter are as low as $8 a month if you are just getting started, or if you are interested in getting more information, go over to www.alexgruen.com and check out the offerings, or you can give Alex a shout via phone at 720-248-7181. And when you get there, be sure you use the code FIRSTGEN10 on the website, or reference this podcast when you give him a ring on the phone. If you do, you will receive a 10% discount on any service of your choice. Remember, that's www.alexgruin.com and mention the promo code FIRSTGEN10, all one word, F-I-R-S-T-G-E-N, the number 10, and receive 10% off any of Alex's services. Yeah, and I, I I saw that question on the transcript you had sent, and uh, and and I'm gonna say yes, but for a different reason because oh, okay. if you make if you if you make a bad shot, you may not get that animal to be able to bring it to me. That's true. That's a great point. As um, shot placement, as far as from a taxidermist standpoint, um, so. The last thing I want you to do when you're sitting in a tree stand and you're looking at that deer at 20 yards, and I I don't want you thinking about, okay, is this going to show on my mount? You got to get that animal (laughs) on the ground and dead. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good Uh, point. So I would say that. um, And if you shoot them behind the shoulder in the rib cage, uh, it's not going to show anyway. But that being said, I see all kinds of stuff. When you're hunting and if you've hunted for... Uh, any length of time, you're going to make a bad shot. It's going to happen. Um, or multiple bad shots on the same animal, which is not ideal. You obviously don't want that to happen, but it's, it's the reality of life and hunting. Mm. And, uh, 
And so that being said, a good taxidermist uh, can repair a lot of things to where you don't see it at all or it's, it's really not noticeable to anyone except maybe you because you know exactly where it is so you might mm-hmm. see where that hair you know so um but really for the most part unless it's something something really bad in a really bad location um uh, a good skilled taxidermist should be able to hide that so so that that is something that that probably shouldn't be uh in your mind really as far as shot placement on the animal just get them on the ground and uh um, go from there. Cause I, I, I expect to have to fix two holes, right? One on the entry, one on the exit. Now that makes sense. Uh, um, sometimes it's far enough back. I don't have to do anything. Sometimes there's multiple shots or, um, you know, uh, shotgun hunters in Iowa are notorious for, well, he wasn't quite dead. So I wanted to do the ethical thing and finish him off. So I shot him in Mm-hmm. And then he was, still wasn't dead, so I shot him in the neck again. Oh, you know? yeah. And I'm like, well, why did you shoot him in the neck? Why didn't you shoot him in the lungs? Because right. that's where you're aiming when he's alive. <laughs> <laughs> they, they secretly wanted a year old mouth, that's why. Yeah, that's right. And so I'm like, now I have to fix two slug holes in the neck. Uh, oh, anyways, man. So, you know, it's just funny things like that that you deal with all the time, but. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, so I would say from that point, you know, the, the biggest key is the environmental factors. Is it cold out? Mm. Is it 80 degrees? Um, and, uh, you know, you may plan ahead and just research taxidermists, you know, just say, okay, this guy looks good. This guy looks good. Ask your buddies, you know, um, I get, I get, I mean, I do social media and website and all that stuff, but even with that, I bet I'm, I'm still 75% word of mouth. Oh, my buddy had you do one three years ago, so I'm calling you, you know, wow. type of thing. That's cool. And uh, so so referral from a buddy, if they're happy, um, you know, chances are you're going to be happy. Um, and uh, But contact that taxidermist, whether it's me or any of the, the thousands of others across the country, um, contact them, see what they want. Everybody, every one of us is a little different, but if you can get that critter cooled down, uh, as quick as possible, uh, that's always better because bacteria is your enemy. Bacteria mm-hmm. loves, uh, thrives the warmer it is and the more moisture there is. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so you get that animal on the ground. Now what, right? Obviously you want to field dress it, get those, uh, get that stuff out um as quick as possible because that one gut is full of bacteria yeah okay so so if you make a poor shot and some of that stomach content or whatever gets on the hide that's not good right um and uh so so cleanliness is is big um as far as bacteria goes now blood on the on the hair and stuff like that that is that is of no concern that'll all come out in the tanning process and washing the hide and all that so that's of no concern but when you're field dressing the animal, you know, I always tell people, um, e- even if you're not going to mount it, taxidermists buy capes. There's always, you know, we talked about earlier, you know, potentially something goes, goes haywire and you need a cape. Taxidermists are always looking for capes. So you could potentially make 
make a buck, you know, sell it to your local guy or whatever. Sure. Um, so, oh, I'm not mounting it. So you cut it all the way up the neck, you know, when you could have maybe sold it for 30, 40 bucks or something, you know, hmm. but, uh, but anyway, you can, you can, so when you're going to field dress the animal, I would say just stop when you hit the sternum, then, you know, you got plenty there. Right. Okay. And that's you're not a good landmark. Taxidermist yeah. Yeah. And that's just an easy reference. Um, and then, you know, it's a little messier cause you have to reach up in there further, but uh, at the end of the day, you'll wash. And if, if, you know, you got extra cuts on your hide, that's a potential for, for more issues at your taxidermist. So, mm-hmm. yeah. um, so anyway, then you go to drag the thing out or whatever you do, you know, you got to think about, you grab the antlers, you and a buddy and you start walking, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that animal is dragging on the hair on its yeah. uh, lower neck and shoulder. Okay. And if you do that very far, you're going to start rubbing that hair off. Yeah. Um, you know, I've had guys hook their antlers to the, you know, to the back of their four wheeler and they drive a half mile across the field and they get back and their shoulder is just bare skin. And they're like, oh, oh yeah. Yep. Shoot. That's, uh, hmm. you know, um, <laughs> well, think about that stuff, you know, and, uh, um, and if, you know, deer hair, a lot of, a lot of, uh, four-legged animal hair is hollow, you know, in the deer family. So if it breaks off, then it's like a straw almost. You get blood yeah. on that and it sucks it up into that hair or dirt or anything that doesn't come out. Mm, so the, that's a good that point. the shoulder of your animal, uh, looks off, you know, yeah. and that, that's at nobody's fault, except it's just, you know, it's just the ignorance of the hunter at that point. And that, you know, it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's just, it's what it is. And, uh, so, so that's just something to be aware of. If you have to drag it a long way, you know, get a tarp under that shoulder or mm. something, um, or get it up on a four wheeler. So it's not dragging would be ideal, or at the very least get it up high enough to where you're not damaging that hair on the part of the mouth that's going to show. So right. like that front half of that shoulder. Okay. Get it, get it hung up, cooled off encaped if it if it's cold out if it's cool you know you can leave it hang a day or two no big deal if it's warm you want to get it taken care of asap um and i would say a big don't do is hang that deer up and then think i got to get it cold and go down to the convenience store buy a bag of ice and throw it in the chest cavity as it's hanging there don't do oh, that. Oh, okay. That's a good tip because uh, I've, I mean, I I have not done this with anything that I've ended up taking to the tack, you know, for like a shoulder mount or anything. But I've definitely, you know, on long trips, loaded up in the back of my truck, put a you know a couple bags of ice in that chest cavity, mm-hmm. and so yeah. that's that's a that's a great piece for people to know. Yep. You know, and it's not as big a deal if the deer's laying flat. Okay. However not what's not good you're adding moisture to the system bacteria loves that mm-hmm. okay um, when that ice starts melting you're adding water bacteria loves that mm-hmm. yeah it's cold um but still it's especially bad when you hang it because that starts melting and it just pools in the chest cavity and sure then it starts absorbing into the hide and and next thing you know, the head is like all swollen and the hide is swollen and twice as thick as what it was. And it is just an absolute mess. Oh, um, man. And, 
and can cause all kinds of problems. We call them jellyheads in that in, in the industry. <laughs> now, is <laughs> that a jellyhead dropped off today? <laughs> it literally that skin and tissue it turns it's just nasty and. So, so do you basically, when, when somebody brings something like that, are you basically like, great. So, uh, do you want me to put your Euro mount on a, a plaque? Or just... <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, you know, it, a lot of times you can actually use it because, um, it, you know, you flush and salt it and then you pull all that moisture back out and mm-hmm. you're okay. But sometimes you're, it's a no go, you know, so it just depends. It's sure. just, it's just best to avoid that altogether. That's a huge um, tip right there. <laughs> everybody, better, yeah. everybody listening better write that one down. Do not hang yeah. with a do, bag of ice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, out of exactly. out of curiosity, how much longer do you you have to salt that or or let it stay salted compared to like a, a typical hide? Well, you just it would just be probably draining a little bit longer, and and really it it, it probably wouldn't prolong it doesn't prolong it all that much um, because that once that salt gets in there, it just water just mm-hmm. runs out of that hide, you know. Yeah. Um, so so um, so really. Uh, as long as bacteria hasn't done its thing, um, you're, you're probably okay. Um, but anytime you add water, like I said, to that system, uh, that's the potential for problems and bacteria can just have a heyday. Mm. Uh, so just avoid that altogether. Um, it's the best thing I can say, but especially if it's warm, get it hung up and, and cape it off the animal. Um, you know, you need basically, you know, you look at a shoulder mount of a deer, say, well, I need that much plus enough to wrap around the back. Plus mm-hmm. let's go a little farther just to be safe. Right. Yeah. Um, so really when you go to Cape the thing, you know, t- talking about what to do with it, Cape it off, get it in the freezer, get it in the refrigerator. If you're going to take it like the next day or something, but get that sucker cold. Okay. Uh, the colder it is, the better, uh, um, you know, once it's pro, it can't sit in a refrigerator for a month, you know, you don't leave a raw steak sitting in the fridge right, for yeah. a month and expect to eat it later and it'd still be good. Okay. It's, you got to think of it that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll last a day or two. You'll be fine. You get it to your taxidermist and you're good. If you, if you can't do that, get it frozen. Okay. Um, but, uh, as far as where to cape it, um, there's all kinds of stuff on YouTube and all, you know what, I've got a video on my website that I did yeah. with uh, trophy bucks of Iowa. You mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. I had them come out and they, they use their video equipment and we did a tutorial on how to do that. I've got that video on my website. Um, but, uh, you know, basically you split up the back of the leg, you go around the chest cavity, around the rib cage behind the shoulders. You know, I usually just say okay. halfway between the shoulders and the hips and you'll be fine. Sure. Or where that sternum, that sternum landmark was, if you go around the animal right there, you'll be fine for your everyday standard shoulder mount. Okay. And, and honestly, where I get shorted uh, more than back there is on the front legs. So many people cut them off, right? Even with the body, they cut that height off right mm. there. And if you look at shoulder mount forms, a lot of them show a little bit of front leg down there. Yeah. Mm. And then you got to wrap it around the back and staple it off. So I usually just say, go to that knee midway down the leg, leave that much on there. Okay. Okay. That is where, where I get, if I'm shorted, hide, 
95% of the time it's the front leg. Mm, another good tip. Another really big tip. So that's, and then when you're cutting it off, like I said, go right up that back leg where the white and the brown hair meet and go straight up to your cut that goes around the chest. Do not angle in through the armpit. Um, cause that's gonna, that's gonna show on the mount and that stitch is a lot harder to hide because there's the hair is really thin through there. Um, yeah. so, so just some stuff to, you know, heck go to the website and watch the video or, you know, Google something and, um, don't assume, you know, I, I hear all the time, Oh, my buddy's done a bunch. He'll do it. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. I, you know, to me, doing a lot doesn't necessarily mean um, that it's accurate. You can do a lot of them and do a lot of them wrong. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, so that's, uh, you know, a little bit of overconfidence is not a good thing sometimes. Uh, so just, just take your time. And, and if you don't know, say, okay, I don't know what to do. Uh, you know, what do you want me to do? And then take their lead. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, uh, fantastic information. There's stuff that can, can, uh, not only make your life easier, but again, make, make the customer that much more likely to be, uh, satisfied with the end product when they're, when they're all done. Sure. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Well, let's, uh, you know, one of the, I kind of want to get not just a, a, a tips and tricks thing here. I, I think, I think you've given us a lot there already that we can, we can take from mm-hmm. it and that's going to help the average guy here. So I kind of want to move into the life of a taxidermist a little bit here and, and, uh, mm-hmm. people are probably curious. I know I'm curious. I'm sure Alex is too, uh, um, to some extent with, you know, how does this all work for you guys? Um, you know, what, what's going on, uh, behind the scenes a little bit. So I thought it might be kind of cool to work and we've really been doing this already, but continuing with this, this, uh, you know, base level thing that most people can relate to, which is the white tailed deer, someone dropping a buck off. Can you just give us like a, you know, a rundown of, uh, from, from drop off to pick up what, what, you as a taxidermist are going to be doing with this, this deer that somebody just dropped off. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'm going to call the neighbor and have him come help me skin. Cause I got 15 of them laying there in the <laughs> 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 every day in November. But, uh, uh, no. So basically what happens is, you know, I, I tag everybody that comes in, They've got a work order. I've got a software program. I put all their information, name, address, telephone number, and that software generates, automatically generates a work order number. And uh, so their animal, they get a tag on the antler, uh, assuming it's a buck um, or their fish or whatever it is, gets the tag with their name and that order number. And, And then I do the same thing on their hide. So now the antlers and the hide have the exact same name and number on them. That's how I can match stuff up later. Sure. And, uh, and then I print out a hard copy of their work order and it's on my computer. Um, so I've got, I've got backups, right? Mm-hmm. So now that that animal is tagged, you skin it off the head the rest of the way. I do that. Um, I take, I take measurements for form size, um, 
so every every deer that comes through my shop um i i don't just buy a form and mount the thing all deer just like people come in all different shapes and sizes (laughs) and uh so you take those measurements and you buy a form that matches the customer's Mm. deer not vice versa so when you get your deer back it is the same size as when you dropped it off for the most part you may fudge a half inch here there on a neck size you know depending on availability and that kind of stuff so um and in in deer taxidermy we're lucky because everybody and their dog has a form and a size and a pose there are so many options out there you can find one that fits okay um now, when you start getting into some of that more odd stuff, like a muskox, if you want a special <laughs> pose in that, there's not going to be tons of options. <laughs> right. So that taxidermist is going to have to make that form fit that animal. Sure. And then that's why a lot of that stuff can get super expensive. Once you start cutting up foam and altering and doing that kind of stuff, you're talking a lot of time and a lot of labor, and that racks up the bill pretty quick. Yeah. Or if somebody wants a specific pose where there's not a form available, you got to up. You've got to you've got to move those legs, and you got to, um, you know, hopefully uh, maintain that anatomy. Um, otherwise, it'll start looking goofy, and you know, you don't you don't want a mount that looks goofy. So, right, <laughs> so yeah, no, right. sir. Uh, you know, but but it, as far as uh, as far as the deer heads go, that's like the most basic. Text, that's the most widely pursued and, and mounted animal, I think it, it, on the planet, if not in the, you know, um, or for sure in the U S um, if not total and uh, you know, the whole, the whole world, but I, um, but anyway, uh, it, so, so basically, um, after I've taken those measurements, I record them on the work order. Um, and then I fold the hide up bag it, write the customer info on the bag, put it in the freezer, uh, take my sawzall. I cut the rack off, um, skin the little bit of the meat and tissue that's on the skull cap yet. Mm-hmm. And then I coat, coat it in borax and hang it on the rack. And it, the way I do my shop, I don't, I, I treat everyone exactly the same. Um, I don't, I don't get into bidding wars with my customers. Some taxidermists, if you're like, Hey, I'll give you an extra 200, hundred. If you jump me ahead of line, hmm. I don't get into that. This is the right. price. And this is your at in line. Take it or leave it. Right. Um, and I just, I just feel like that is the most, most, uh, honest, fair, fair. way to treat yeah. everyone that comes in the door. Yeah. Um, and they're like, well, I brought you three last year. I'm like, I know, but you know, I, I, I just can't do that. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, I just don't go down that trail because I just feel like that opens up all kinds of potential for problems. And, Definitely. Um, but uh, so anyway, you know, I say you want it back first, shoot it opening day, and yours will be the first one to get back, come back to you, you know. <laughs> so that's all you got to do. Yeah, <laughs> no pressure. Right. No pressure. Day of season. Right. Uh, but if you bring it in the last day of deer season, I got I got a bunch ahead of you, so be patient, you know. So, yeah. Um, so basically, you know, and, and people will drop it off. Well, how long? And I, I just tell everybody 12 months, give or take, mm-hmm. you know, like it takes that long to mount a deer. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, you know, no, it doesn't not to mount one deer, but it, it does take that long to mount the hundred deer that are ahead of yours. <laughs> right. Um, mm-hmm. And that, you know, that's, that's the thing that, that, um, you know, when you bring your deer in, 
um, from your perspective, your deer is the only deer that matters. Right. And that's totally normal and, you know, understandable. On the other side of that is I've got 130 of them here and 130 people think theirs is the only one that matters. <laughs> and that's why I say, that's why I say I do them in the order they come in. And that way I'm treating everybody exactly the same. So nobody can, you know, complain about anything as far as the way that, that I do it, as far as treating people differently. Um, and that's worked out pretty well and I'm just completely upfront with people. So they know the expectation. And I think that's a big, a big thing. Um, if that doesn't, I can only do what I can do. And if, if, if you can't do that, I completely understand. And I, you know, I have, I have absolutely no issues with you walking out if that doesn't work for you. That's just, but I'm not going to promise you something I can't deliver on. Um, and, and I, I just think that's the best way to do it. Um, and it's worked well and I have people tell me that's why they come to me, you know? Um, and that's, you know, that, that's great. And, uh, um, so anyway, um, back to, uh, what takes place. So, so I, I do not tan in-house personally. Um, I have tanned hides. Um, I'm not a tannery. I don't like tanning. I don't have time to tan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I outsource my tanning to a wholesale commercial tannery, which I think I would say, I don't know, I'm just guessing, but I would say well over half, if not more taxidermists do that. Um, yeah. some tan in house, I would say most of them probably don't. Um, but yeah, I, I did a, I actually looked that up. Um, this year, cause I, I wanted to get the hide off the buck that I shot this year tanned and, uh, yeah. you're right. I mean, there's, there was one in, uh, you know, within reasonable driving distance from my house. So, you know, if you're listening into this and you're uh, thinking, Hey, I'd kind of like to, I like what, uh, Matt's talking about here. Well, there's already a lot of taxidermists out there, a lot of good taxidermists out there, but there are not a lot of tanneries out there. And so if you're, yeah. if you're willing to put up with that process, uh, I guarantee you, you would have business. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think, well, I don't want to do it. <laughs> so that's why I'm right. sending it out. If somebody enjoyed that work and were good at it and wouldn't get buried and would, would, uh, learn, learn the ability to say no and, and know how much they can handle. Um, you could, you could have a really strong business doing that, but it is, I'm telling you, it is nasty work and it's mm. hard work. Yeah. But if, if you're willing to do it, you will have work forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that's something, yeah, definitely that the industry can can always use as tanneries. Yeah. Um but uh so so basically uh the tannery I currently use, uh they run routes. Um, you know, so I don't ship anything uh just out of fear of, you know, a package getting lost or whatever, you know, something like right. that, and then a the hide goes bad or whatever. So that that's a big concern of mine. Um so the tannery I use runs routes and every two, three months they'll call, they'll say, Hey, we're coming by your place. Uh, do you have anything or not? You know, yeah, I do. Or, or they'll call and say, Hey, we got, we got 20 capes done for you. 
or coming by, can you meet us or whatever, you know, that type sure. of thing. So I don't have to ship anything. Um, that's which is nice. nice. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and they work with, they work with their taxidermists. They, you know, I'm like, Hey, I don't need them all. I don't want them all back at once. One, I can't afford that bill. And two, I don't know what I'm going to do with them. And I can only mount one day at a time. You know, if you can keep me working, uh, that's all I care. Get me, mm-hmm. bring me 20 a time or, you know, whatever that number is. Just, just keep me going and I'll, I'll be happy. And, uh, you know, so they do that. I get the, so, so basically their process, they, you know, they'll get the hide, um, and whether they're tanning in house or not, so gener- there's different tans and, and all kinds of different op- opinions on which one's the best and whatever. But, um, so basically the process is you flesh and salt the hide and turn the eyes and ears and lips. And what I mean by that is you remove all the fat and meat from the skin. Mm-hmm. And turning the eyes and ears and lips is just what it sounds like. You have a scalpel or a really sharp knife or something, and you split those lips out and lay them flat. And the eyelids and the, the ears you turn inside out, you split the ears to the edges. And you got to turn all that skin and expose all that skin and get it salted. Hmm. So you salt, and then you, and then once all that is cleaned up, you salt it. That removes um, moisture, water, um, all that stuff from the hide. Um, and once that hide is kind of dehydrated, then it can go, you can rehydrate it, a pickling process, a tanning process. They have to shave it, um, meaning they, they thin the actual skin itself. Mm. So it's, it's super thin. Okay. If you don't want a deer, isn't as bad as some animals, but like, I mean, you got a bison. I mean, that skin is literally, <laughs> literally on the head, like an inch thick. And that's right. oh, yeah. skin. You have to thin that skin down. Otherwise, the tan is not going to penetrate that. and You're not going to make leather. Right. Um, the outer layer of that skin um, won't be tanned and the inside will be if you don't get it thin. Okay. So that's the tanning process. Um, and at that point. You know, after it's gone through the tan, I, obviously it's leather now, but it's wet. The leather is wet. The skin mm-hmm. is wet. Sure. And that is when they'll roll it up, bag it, throw it in the freezer, and you freeze it. And that's called a wet tan, which Got is it. what the way most taxidermists receive them back. And we'll thaw them out. We'll get them out. The leather's wet. We do more, they call it detail fleshing, detail thinning around the eyes the nose, the lips around the antler burrs, because the more skin that's there, when it dries after you mount it, the more skin that's there, and I mean thickness, the more it's going to shrink and pull and do bad things. Sure. So the thinner you get that skin, the better. Um, old Tom Matuska in Spirit Lake, Iowa, Matuska Taxidermy Supply, yeah. he always says, you got to get it thin to win. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's always, that's always kind of been his slogan, but. Um, but he's right, you know, and that's, uh, um, that's, that's what you do. So you got, then you got everything thin, uh, you trim all that excess skin off around the eye, the inner eyelids and all that stuff. Um, and I, I understand it's probably really hard to visualize what I'm even talking about. No, but, no, you're doing great. Um, this is, <laughs> this is really educational. So, <laughs> yeah. So then you've got a form, right. That you've ordered to fit that, but this, Cape's been through the tanning process. It's been fleshed over a beam or however they do it. Um, and you're, 
the cape is all stretched out. Now all of a sudden you got a you got a cape that used to be three foot long and it's like five and a half feet long and you hold it up it's it's so you get you stretch it back out widthwise mm-hmm. um to get it to fit back on that form because it looks like a little tube sock you know mm-hmm. and uh so then you got to get it stretched back out widthways um so I, I test fit everything before i do anything to the form the form i take it out of the box and i i test fit that cape on it you know, areas that just from experience, you know, you got to check and make sure fit and whatever. Is the head going to fit? Is the neck going to fit? Is Do I have to take some off the neck? You know, you may get a late season deer that was killed in January. Well, all the forms are, you know, 26 inches or something really big swollen like he's in the, you know, second week of November. Well, right. that's not going to work on a deer that was shot in January. So you got to, you know, you may have to alter that form a little bit, take some out of the mid neck. Um, but still maintain a good deer look. You don't want it to look goofy. You want to look at it and go, oh yeah, that looks like a deer. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Instead of what in the world is going on there? You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um, so those are all things the taxidermist has to do and, uh, um, kind of, uh, just experience will obviously help you. And you, you kind of, after you do so many after so many years you can just kind of look at stuff and go oh yeah i gotta i gotta do this or do that quick i've done it a hundred times you know mm-hmm. um that just comes with experience and doing it but um so then once you get the thing test fit um you know you got to rough your form up because it's really slick foam you rough it up because you use a glue on that form and you want it to you want the skin to become basically one with that form um you know um and that's going to hold everything in place so so basically you will set your eyes the eyes so on a deer mount the only thing that you use off the actual animal is the skin and the antlers with you know a small fraction of that skull cap still attached sure Mm -hmm. that's it everything else is foam clay glue plastic um so there's there's really nothing in there that can rot, right? So it, yeah. it should last a very long time if you've got a good tan. Um, so the eyes, there's, I mean, there's a gajillion different eyes out there. You know, your taxidermist just picks the ones that they like using. And um, so you set your eyes in clay, you sculpt your eyes in. Um, and that, to me, especially on a commercial piece, meaning... Commercial meaning the stuff you do every day for customers. The eyes are number one. What's the what's the first thing, you know, you do? You watch somebody goes up and looks at the mount. What do they do? You walk up, and they look at the eyes. Yeah, that's a good mm-hmm. point. That's for yeah, that's definitely true. Um, <laughs> so if you can get a taxidermist that you know, if you can get a mount that the eyes look nice and soft and sculpted in properly. Um, don't look like you just took a metal tool and like gouged them in there and did all, you know, <laughs> um, that, you know, that, that is key. Uh, eyes, nose and ears, I think are the, are the three keys. Um, but that skin, you know, you, you think about taxidermy and, and just think about the root of what that word means. Taxi, meaning to move. Derm, dermy, skin, moving skin. Hmm. 
So a good taxidermist, um, you know, I hear all the time, I go to shows and competitions and talk to so many different people and they're like, man, I just, I've always got extra skin here, you know, at the base of the ear or something. And, and, uh, I'm like, well, so they just shove it full of clay to take up that extra skin. I'm like, sure. well, that's not what a deer's ear looks like. Okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah. This is just one example. I'm like, there's not extra skin there. You just need to do taxidermy. And they kind of look at me funny. What? Yeah. I'm like, no, you need to learn how to manipulate that skin. There's not extra skin there. That deer needs that extra skin to be able to move its ear in all different directions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yep. to go back, it needs extra skin to move that ear all right. the way back. When it comes forward, it's going to be bunched in the front of the ear. So technically it's not extra skin. It, it's supposed to be there because it was on the deer. Right. You just need to do taxidermy. You need to learn how to manipulate that skin to make it fit and make it look natural. And, uh, and that is, that is a skill set. that is just doing over time and developing that skill set and that feel and knowing how to do it. Yeah. And that's the, that's can, the artwork of it. Yeah. And I can tell, I can tell you a million different times till I'm blue in the face, but until you do it a whole bunch, you won't get it. You just got to do it to figure it out. Yeah. And it's one of those things. And that, and that's just one area of the mount and it's all that, um, the mm-hmm. whole thing, you know, cause one portion you get, you know, if your antler set on your form is too far back, well, there's only so much skin between the antler burr and the eye. That's going to goof stuff up. You're right. going to have stuff pulling. So if you get one area off, that's going to throw another area off and throw another area off. Um, so getting all that stuff in the proper placement is key. Um, and, and so anyway, you've got your eyes sculpted in. I use artificial noses on everything. I cut the foam nose off the form and I've got actually, um, a mold that I make casts. So I've, I've made a, I've made a mold of an actual, of actual deer noses. Um, oh, cool. that have deep detail up in there. And so then I pull cast from my, from my nose and it's far more accurate than carving foam out. Mm. Nice. Now, that That's being cool. said, there are guys that cut the foam nose off. They can carve it out and make it look almost as good as the cast nose. I'm not that guy. I see, <laughs> I mold a, I mold a real one and pull a cast off a real deer nose. So, sure. um, so I do do a lot of that stuff. Um, so every single customer piece gets that. I don't have a carved foam deer nose. I've got a cast deer nose off an actual deer. Um, and uh, that gives you more detail, um, more more lifelike appearance. Um, so so you do all that stuff. You coat the whole form in glue after it's rough up. You pull your cape on, um, and then and then you mount the thing. You you tuck those lips that you turned a long time ago. Um, and you got them really, really thin, so you can tuck them up in, in the lip line. Um, tuck your nose skin up inside the nostril, and your inner eyelid skin tucks up between the clay and the glass eye. So um, and then you got to smooth that and groom it. You brush it out. I've got pet brushes in my drawer from, you know, I don't know, years ago that uh, handle broke off. And now I got a screw for a handle, you know, just stuff that <laughs> accumulate and is laying around that. Um, homemade tools that you've like, Oh, I, I bet if I did this, this, that would work for this and this little gadgets and stuff that you come up with. And, um, you know, but then, so, 
you got the deer mounted and it looks nice and everything and it but you've got a wet tan right everything's pliable you can move it around but when you pick a deer mount up everything is rigid and rock solid right and uh um so then you have to sit there and you have to let that mount dry for a week or two depending on where you live if it's summertime and 80 percent humidity it takes longer than in the winter when it's dry um sure but you let that thing dry and you want it to dry slow and you kind of babysit it because as stuff dries, it shrinks, it can pull away and cause you problems. So you want it to dry slowly so you can keep an eye on it. Um, so now it's dry and you can do finish work. That means if that eyelid pulled away from that glass eye a little bit, you can fill that with epoxy. Um, you can blend inside the nostril where that skin meets up with that plastic cast nose I have on there. Right. Um, you can, you can put a little roll of epoxy there, blend that seam so you can't see it. It's a nice transition. All that kind of stuff needs to be done. Um, and then you, you know, you, you, you paint the nose, you paint around the eyes and I say paint, but it is painted, but you don't want it to look painted. You want it to look alive, right? <clears throat> People taxiderm themselves just blast paint on there, and you're like, "Well, I remember the first competition I ever went to. You know, um, you're brand new. You just, you know, you think you you think you're awesome, and you go to this competition, and <laughs> and uh, you know, the judge is like, huh, yeah, okay, come here, we got stuff to talk about, you know, <laughs> and, and he goes, he's, he's like, well, you, you know, you're around your eye. He says it looks painted. And I'm kind of, you know, I'm confused. I'm like, well, it is painted. He's like, ah, he's like, right. He's like, but you don't want it to look painted. You want to paint it, but you don't want it to look like it's painted. You want it to look natural and alive. Um, you know, so that kind of really stuck with me. And, and you, you, as the years go on, you develop your, you, you, you improve your skill set. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I learn every day, every year I go to, I, I go to shows, competitions, and I think anybody that thinks they've arrived, I think you are really um, screwing yourself out of really becoming great. Hmm. Um, because yeah. you can never, ever stop learning at this industry. I don't care. You take the best deer mount in the world and you put it next to a live deer, it still looks like crap. and that is what you want to achieve you use live deer reference and that's the look you're trying to achieve but it's impossible um and and so i think if anybody uh, is, is too cocky or thinks they're really really good and i'm like man that live deer is the standard and i don't care who you are you ain't ever gonna be that good and, uh, so, you know, I, I just think you can never quit learning and, uh, um, there's always, I just went to the Iowa taxidermy association show this, well, it was last weekend, actually. Um, they had that and, and, uh, there was a gal there giving a seminar on painting and finish work. And, um, she did some stuff that is just like, I've never seen or heard of before. And I'm like, you are blowing my mind right now. This is <laughs> That's awesome. And it, it's just, it's just stuff that she's like, Oh, I just buy all, I got puppy paint from Hobby Lobby and I use it for this. And I'm like, what? 
<laughs> like what in the world, you know, but how can you tell them it's wrong if it looks, if it looks fantastic, right? Mm-hmm. you know, and that's the artwork of it. There is no right or wrong. If it looks good and your end product is awesome, uh, from A to Z, I don't care what happened in between there. Yeah. Nothing is off limits as far as what you can do and what you can use. If you achieve the look you want, uh, do what it takes to get it. So, yeah, that's, I don't know. That's well said. Kind of a, kind of a perspective from the, from the taxidermist point of view, I guess. No, I think that's, I think that's good to hear. And I, I think it applies to every, really every aspect of hunting. You know, there's, there's guys yeah. you run across them on occasion. They think they've got, got hunting, you know, <laughs> by the tail. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've been privileged enough to talk with a few guys who've gotten pretty close to, uh, having hunting by the tail. Uh, but they were, <laughs> they're the guys that would never say that, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, right. uh, oh, they're yeah. humble and they, they, they keep, yeah. And, you know, I, what you were saying, I actually wanted to bring this up at some point in the conversation. I think now's the perfect time. I was on your website and I noticed in your about section, you had this, uh, this cool little blurb written. I'm going to go ahead and read that right now. Uh, and so anyone oh, who, sure. who wants to uh, follow along with Matt and his work, you can head over to his, his uh, website and we'll give you that in here in a, uh, a little bit before we end. But uh, the, this quote was, thanks for considering Raccoon Valley taxidermy. I strive to earn your business through the highest quality craftsmanship, honesty, competitive pricing, and by providing superior customer service. Trying to replicate what God has created is impossible, but it's also what drives me to continually improve, study reference, and continue my education every year. I attend multiple competitions and seminars annually to stay up to date with the latest techniques and highest quality products to ensure you're receiving the best mount possible and that the in- and that the industry can provide. You've invested much time and resources into quality equipment, scouting, and studying your quarry just to get that trophy. Now is not the time to settle for mediocre taxidermy work. You will have to look at the mount for the rest of your life. Be certain it's quality. I can and often ship anywhere in the U S so, uh, obviously some, uh, <laughs> some great marketing, uh, tips there as well for, uh, uh just, uh, if you want Matt's services, you can get them. But I think, uh, that, that blurb was packed full of a lot of, uh, uh, you know, great thought that, uh, um, I imagine a lot of taxidermists would probably echo there and, and, uh, you can't make it perfect, but, but you want a taxidermist who's, who's trying to, and, and who is uh, continually uh, trying to get better by learning and studying and, and everything else that you referenced there. So I, I really thought that was a, that was a great point and it, and it definitely relates to um what you're saying. Well, man, I could, I could literally talk to you for like five hours. I have so many questions floating around <laughs> my head, but we're already yeah. at the, uh, you know, we're well over an hour here. But uh, before before sure. we uh, wrap this one up, maybe we can do this kind of rapid fire here. I did want to ask you a little bit about dermested beetles. I think I pronounced that correctly. Um, yep. Uh, I, whenever I see taxidermists use that, I am thoroughly intrigued and impressed <laughs> again with, uh, yeah. maybe it's because, uh, they're, they're using what God has created and not the, uh, you know, boiling water over a propane, uh, <laughs> flame yeah. out in their yard or something. But, but, uh, yep. I, I don't believe you use beetles, but, um, 
if somebody was wanting to maybe do their own like taxidermy work at home, maybe start doing some Euro mounts or something for, for their friends or, or, uh, you know, they yep. find a deadhead when they're shed hunting or something like that. And they get a salvage tag and all that, you know, what really goes into keeping those beetles? Is that something that's really feasible for your average person? Is that a, you know, a part of a full-time job there just to keep those things fed and alive and in the right conditions and uh, right. uh do you feel that it is a good method for taxidermy uh i do it, they they are very effective i actually use them for my european mounts oh okay. i do not have them on sure. site there is a guy that has them and for what he charges me i can't justify having my own bugs i don't want to take care of them it's just something else to do they're kind of sure. finicky climate controlled all that stuff uh, and for what he charges me and, and the quantity I do, I will, I will skin the hide off the head. I'll take them to him. He'll put them in his bugs. I pick them back up and there's, there's the only thing that's left is bone and antler. Okay. Hmm. So, so they literally eat everything that isn't bone. Hmm. So that's awesome. <laughs> that's skin so the hide cool. off. And, and this guy's so funny because he, I'm like, He's like, why are you cutting so much of that stuff on there, off of there? I'm like, well, I don't know. He's like, that's, that's what the bugs do. They eat it all. And <laughs> yeah, he's probably, you know, he's probably a little feed... annoyed because now he's got to feed him an extra piece of lunch meat or something. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. He's like, man, I got to go buy another doe tag now. <laughs> but, uh, so, but anyway, you know, he'll put them in there. Um, and then I go pick them back up and he charges me a, you know, a fee or whatever. And, and, um, and then, um, but, but that is a very good way to, to, to clean your skulls. But once you get them out of the bugs, they're still not done because there's still a lot of oil and grease in that bone. Okay, you have to sure. degrease them and do all that and whiten them and, and that kind of thing. Um, but I will say for the do it yourself or on a year old mount, um, if you're doing it, if you're going to do like one a year or whatever, um, bugs is probably not the way to go because you sure. do have to feed them. They, right. There is a certain amount of maintenance or whatever. Uh, there's probably better pets you could have. Oh um, yeah, <laughs> and, a, and a bunch of domestic beetles. But they, uh, uh, I would say, if you're gonna do them in water in the pot, you know, everybody says the boiling method, and I kind of cringe when I hear that. And I know what they mean, but but um, when you say boil, that quite literally means bring to a boil, and you should never do that with bone. Mm. Good tip. I'd say, at best, a very, very low simmer. Yeah. Um, that's as hot as you absolutely want that water. That's a great um, tip. You know, and you can you can put some, it's called soda ash in there um, with it, and that will help gelatinize, like, the cartilage and some of that tissue that's still on there, so it'll come off the bone better. Um, but, it, you know, you got to, you got to, Keep your thumb on it and, and pay attention because it can, um, there's, it's a, it's a timing thing and you got to check it. And, yeah. Um, you do a bunch and experience, you know what you're looking for and all that kind of thing. So, um, but anyway, yeah, that's, uh, that's certainly, I would say do not boil bone. Uh, mm. it's gonna, they're going to fall apart on you. That's, that's, you bring it to a boil. So that's a, that's, mm-hmm. that's a great tip. Cause I'm going to guess that, a a large percentage of people who DIY that project, they uh, yeah. probably do bring it to a boil, I would imagine, and uh, yeah, you know, yeah. 
may not cause them problems right away, but maybe down the road, it's, mm-hmm. they got a real brittle thing hanging on their wall that drops, breaks, something like that. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. That's and some guys do, they, they'll do them. They do like it. They do, you know, whatever. And I've had guys that, you know, they're kind of like, geez, you charge that for a Euro. And I said, yeah, if I got it, if I'm doing it, that that's what I'm getting. If you want to do it, that's fine. And they're like, well, I'll probably just do it myself. And the next year they're like, yeah, man, you can do it. That's totally worth paying that for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, so you get the full spectrum of guys, you know, but, um, I'm like, yeah, I know. That's why I charge what I do. <laughs> yeah. Right. And you know, even with boiling, you still got to have a big enough pot. I think that's probably the biggest problem for people and a heat source. You know, if you got like a grill or something with a little side burner, it might not be so bad. But, you know, if you don't have something like that, you got to come up with some kind of apparatus to hold that thing over a flame. And and uh, yep. like you said, you know, watch it carefully to make sure you're not overdoing it and everything else. So yeah. it's definitely you better know your wife really, really well if you <laughs> doing that in the kitchen and she comes home from work you want to stay married you know yeah just, just, uh, i'm here for life tips yeah it's, it's just soup it's fine that's right uh, i'm just making yeah, some venison yeah. uh, stock uh, oh my wife caught me one time i tell you i was upstairs and i i had done a life-size badger mount and i literally sometimes depending on the tan and how clean the tannery got it but you can you can mount those things and i literally took it inside to the bathtub and it's just a mount it's it's a tanned hide and foam you know that's how i view it i, I had it in the bathtub and shampoo and i washed the snot out of this thing and she comes home and i got her hair dryer and i'm brushing it she's like where did you get that brush Michael like, well, was in the basket right here in the closet. It was her brand new hairbrush. Oh <laughs> no! <laughs> you were on the she couch. Goes, well, <laughs> yeah. She goes, well, you can just keep that one. I'll get another one. Just keep that one to your shop. I'm like, it's clean hair. It's just like your hair. Uh, I don't know. My perspective was different than hers. I guess. Right, so. right, right. Yeah, that's awesome. The, uh, the life of living with a taxidermist. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, there's probably a certain level of a uh, certain level of no fear that your family has. Um, yeah, right. Thanks for the brush. Did really great getting all the ticks off that thing. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh man, no, that's 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 for sure. You got to be careful there. Yeah, definitely. I didn't. I didn't think anything of it. Oh man. Well, we are we are running right around that hour and a half uh, time from here, and you know, I think there's enough that I could probably ask you still, uh, Matt. That that uh, maybe we should do another episode down the road, just uh, maybe even doing a little bit deeper dive and uh, into the different processes, and and um, I even want to ask you. I had on my list here to ask you about some of the difficult mount stuff, but but like I said, you know, that's that's uh, gonna need to wait. But one thing I do wanna I do want to um cover here and you and i have talked about this in the past matt is um you know people a lot of times they'll show up to a skilled person you know and and they'll hear okay you know this is what i want done and then they hear the price and they're like what are you talking about you know and for somebody who's never had taxidermy done which could be a large percentage of our listeners right now which is great and mm-hmm. hopefully they have the chance to get it done soon sure. but it, it's far from free and as you've just heard matt explain there's a ton of work and and this is what this is what keeps these 
people uh, uh, able to to eat <laughs> and uh, get mm-hmm. their get their kids new basketball shoes when they need them, and and uh, you know pay for their kids uh, car insurance and everything else. I mean, everything that all the rest of us depend on, uh, you know, yep. making enough money to to take care of your taxidermist needs too, for one. Yep. You know, and y- you know what, Matt's doing a better job doing his taxidermy by only doing taxidermy and not trying to work, you know, a couple different jobs just because of the demanding nature mm-hmm. of that, you know, and, and being able mm-hmm. to be available to his customers. But, but, uh, Matt, you know, I'd kind of like to, to hear, you know, you explain again, when somebody, when somebody kind of gives you that reaction, um, you know, w- when we were talking about this the other day, uh, what's kind of your explanation to them when they, you know, kind of get those dollar signs in their eyes moment and, uh, yeah. you know, get kind of freak out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's a good point. And, and I will first off say, um, and I'm a very firm believer in this. Um, I will show you why my mount or someone else's mount, whatever, uh, uh, costs more. I will show you those differences. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, it's the customer's decision. And if that customer does not see the value in that final product, there is no reason for them to pay more. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm, I'm being totally upfront and honest about that. And that, that may not be a good thing to say from my business perspective, but that's the honest to goodness truth. It's like, if you don't see the value in the product, there is absolutely no reason for you to buy it. Right. If you think the guy down the road who's 250 bucks cheaper, if you don't see the difference, why would you pay more? <laughs> right. There, it doesn't make sense. And that does not upset me at all. Um, however, um, I'm not going to price match that guy. Right. Because you are not getting the same product. We're not price matching the same product. Yeah. Um, it, and that, that is, that is the truth. And that's why you see, prices from 400 all the way up to, you know, you name it. Um, I don't want to say a number because I'm sure there's somebody that's higher. Um, right. But, you know, for me, from the business perspective, I, I run a full-time shop more than full-time. Um, me there, there's, there's two main factors I think of when pricing. Number one is the quality of work that I'm putting out compared to the quote unquote competitors around. Mm-hmm. Right? right. And I'm the highest, I, you know, I'm, I'll just outright say it. I'm the highest price guy in my area, whatever that means. Um, uh, you know, my immediate area, um, I'm, I'm the highest price guy. Um, and that being said, um, I have, I, I am so darn busy you know, so, yeah. so I base pricing on the, I try to be honest about it and it's like, okay, I'm putting out a quality product. Um, not, I don't want it to sound the wrong way, but it, it's better than most. Yeah. I would, and let, and let me vouch for that too. I mean, you guys get on, <laughs> get on his pages and look at that and you'll, you'll see that factor, whatever it is that just makes his work stand out. And, uh, um, and then, and then the other thing is su- simple supply and demand. Mm-hmm. If the demand for the product I'm putting out is higher than I can produce, naturally, what happens? Price, goes, price up. goes up. Yep. Price goes up. So that that's that. Those are the 
two basic things from the business perspective. Granted, I won't get into all the other stuff. You know, I got to keep the lights on. I got to make truck payments. I got, you know, I got to, yeah. you know, whatever. All, all that other stuff that factors into it um, to keep the lights on and other stuff. But but those are the two main things that drive that. One, here your products cost more, no matter what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and if the demand for that product is higher than what can be produced, the prices go up. So those are the kind of the two things that factor into that, the big things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and then the other thing is you got to consider especially in these crazy times we're living in right now. Um, and I certainly don't want this to turn into a political thing, but, but there are components that are petroleum based that the taxidermy industry uses a lot. Sure. And that stuff is skyrocketing. Lumber is skyrocketing. Every yeah. single deer form has, has a piece of plywood on the back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all that stuff um, to make glass for the eyes. And one of the parts in, in the two part, foam making, um, you know, they use oil, uh, foam is foam prices are skyrocketing, you know, and that's all happening like at an extremely fast rate right now. So I don't know what's going to happen. It's a little bit, gives me a little bit of anxiety, but at the end of the day, if that stuff goes up, my price has to go up to cover it. And that's not even giving myself a raise, you know, that's covering my, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's Um, cost of production. Yeah. Cost of goods. so, right. And so, so those are all things to think about. And, and I would say, and I'm, I'm just as guilty as anybody, but taxidermists, terrible business people. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are not good at it. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, it, we're working for pennies. If you really figure it up, it's like, oh man, why do I do this? You know, yeah, but, uh, hey, you're, uh, um, so you're, anyway, your wife and I can role. relate, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. 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 She's kind of my sugar mama. Cause I got my benefits through her and that's right. <laughs> you know, that's all that right. being self-employed. So, um, but, uh, but anyway, so that's kind of real quick into that, but you know, it's just kind of the perspective to think of it. And this is my opinion. Um, uh, you know, I always tell people, my, I don't, I don't care. You know, I, I would say this, whether you come to me or not. Um, just talking whitetails. Um, so you've got the new Matthews or Hoyt or whatever bow, um, you know, that could easily cost you $1,500 when you leave the store. Right. You got how many different tree stand setups, you know, how many trail cameras are you running? You know, add up the price of all that stuff just so you can get this animal. Right. And now that you got him, you're going to balk at $200 extra. Right. You know, and, and to me, that is just, that just does not make sense. No, not at all. Um, But, you know, there are people that there's, and there's a lot of them and it's not right or wrong. It just is what it is. They can't tell the difference between a good mount and a bad mount. And if that's you, there's no reason to go to the guy that charges more. If you're happy with that. Right. Um, you know, and that, that's about as honest as I can say it. There, there are some people that, um, you know, they get their rack back. Yep. Cool. Looks great. They're happy, you know? Um, and there's other people that, you know, you get the whole spectrum of people just like with anything. Sure. Um, 
you get the guys that simply buy stuff based on price tag, the lowest price tag, and you get guys that buy the most expensive because it's the most expensive only. Um, you get guys that can see the difference in quality and, um, you know, that is my target client base. The guy down the road that's charging $400 that, um, you know, and I, I'm not saying there is a guy like that down the road. I'm just saying in general. Um, but, um, he is, in my opinion, he's not a competitor because it's a totally different clientele base that we're targeting. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not even, we are not in competition with one another. Um, so I, that's how I look at it, I guess. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I think that's a good way to, to state it. And I think that, uh, if you're listening to this, uh, you know, that's something to consider and, and you know what, may, maybe you are, uh, somebody who, uh, you, you can look at one, one mount looks the same to the other then yeah, you know, exactly what Matt's saying there makes sense then, to, uh, to go with your wallet. But, but, um, I, I, for one, notice the difference, and I know Alex definitely does. He's he he goes to the effort of uh, living in Michigan, and his taxidermist lives in Idaho. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So uh, it's uh, it's definitely worth it. And uh, like we said, you know, you're 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 paying for the culmination of everything that you put all that other money and effort and, and, and time and hard work and, and days off work and, and stuff like that. You put all that into that. Now that you got it in your hand, get it done the right way and go with, go with, uh, go with somebody who's really going to take care of you and, and set you up for, you know, satisfaction for the rest of your life as you look at that mount. So, well, uh, before, yep. before we, uh, close this one down, Matt, um, uh, how can people uh, get in touch with you? Uh, I know you're you're pretty active on uh, social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've got a Facebook page. It's Raccoon Valley Taxidermy LLC, Redfield, Iowa. That's where I'm currently at. That's where I've been at uh, since the beginning of my taxidermy uh, career. Um, so that's Facebook. I've got Instagram under the same name. Uh, and then my website is raccoonvalleytaxidermy.com. Um, and then, uh, you know, like we kind of uh, talked about earlier, we are in the process of a huge, scary move. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to, my wife got a job in Kansas by her family and, and, uh, her family's got a farm down here and that's a big draw. And neither one of us, my wife or I like the winners in Iowa. So we're like, let's, sure. let's do it. Let's move, let's move a little further South and be by the farm and you know, it'll be great. Yeah. And, uh, um, so we decided to do that. And, uh, so I'm going to be moving my business. all scary, a lot of unknowns, but, but yeah, basically just, uh, um, if you want to keep up with any of that, any changes I will make on, on those two social media sites and the webpage. So you'll, you'll know when that transition takes place and whatever, but and of course all my contact info is on there and, uh, whatever, but I'll certainly, uh, um, answer any questions for anybody as far as that stuff goes. So, yeah. um, I'm going to keep as many Iowa clients as I can. Uh, some, some are just not going to be okay with that and that's mm-hmm. fine. They got to make, de- they got to make decisions what's best for them. And that's mm-hmm. understandable. And, and some people are super loyal and super, uh, you know, they find somebody they like and they're like, I don't care where you live. I'm bringing it to you because <laughs> I know Sign you're going to take care of me. Yep. Uh, that's yep. me. 
Yeah. Yep. And that, you know, um, so those guys I'm sure I'll keep and the other ones I won't, but I'll get new ones and whatever. And it'll, I'm sure it'll work out just fine. So, yeah, definitely. Um, but, uh, yeah. Sounds great. And I, I will uh, put all those links in the uh, show notes of this episode. Make sure you uh, you at least take a look at his page. If Even if you, uh, you know, maybe you're living way out in uh, Brandon's neck of the woods or uh, maybe on the West Coast or deep in the South or something, and you're, you're way far away from, from Matt, so it's not really necessarily a feasible option for you, you'll still appreciate mm-hmm. the quality of his work. It's like uh, kind of, you know, flipping through a photo gallery at a museum. I mean, it's, it's that good. So. <laughs> Uh, make sure you uh, take a chance to to get over to his uh, Facebook and Instagram and then also on onto his website. And uh, for everyone else who uh, is close enough, I would I would definitely recommend, uh, you know, giving him a serious look for for business down the road. Hopefully everyone listening into this will have a beautiful uh, trophy quality animal that they're making a, a shoulder mount decision on this this coming uh, 21 yeah. uh, 2021 hunting season. So uh, hopefully they'll be in the position to do that. But uh, also make sure, uh, you know, Alex was was kind enough to jump in uh, and and help out tonight. I'm sure you guys are uh, checking out his stuff as well. Of course, you'll hear the ad running for him in this episode, uh, but definitely head over to alexgruen.com and you can check out East to West on Instagram and on Facebook as well. Interact with him there. Double check his prices. Check out his new uh, subscription service, which is just an incredible opportunity, I think. Something that's cheaper than Netflix and could uh, possibly plant you on the side of a mountain with a set of binoculars in your hands looking for a trophy class elk uh sounds like a uh, pretty wise investment to me <laughs> and uh sounds like heaven <laughs> that's right that's right and uh of, of course even though brandon couldn't be here he is with his family tonight uh doing some easter stuff uh, head over to the huntfishlife.com check out his website also uh be active on his Facebook pages. There's a, there's, there's a lot of regular contributors on there. There's a really cool post today from actually a former guest, uh, from episode, uh, 11, I believe Mr. Jay Wolf posted some really cool stuff about, uh, uh, some walleye stockings that he was a part of with another guest from the show, Mr. Jeremiah Haas, uh, who is, uh, uh the environmental chemist who is in charge of those, those walleye stocking efforts, but a lot of cool stuff going on here. A lot of great pages to follow. Please also make Make sure you head over to firstgenhunter.com. You know where to find me on Instagram and on Facebook. Find me there, please, and follow if you haven't. Uh, also, this podcast is now available on Stitcher, so if you're an Android user or maybe you uh, just like Stitcher, uh, you can definitely uh, find it there. But also, uh, don't forget about iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, which used to be iTunes, Google Podcasts, and, of course, Podbean as well. But uh, make sure you uh, are, are subscribing. Please uh, leave us a, a good review. That, that really helps us out, gets our our show out there to more folks and hopefully helping more people find more success in the woods but uh beyond all that make sure you take care and take someone hunting <laughs>